there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. My grandmother lived a life devoted to Jesus, and today her talks have been made available in their original form. So you too can be built up through the insights and mysteries God revealed to her throughout her ministry. Now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Elliot. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot. Reminiscing. I think an old woman is allowed to reminisce. And month by month and year by year, I notice how old I am. Not because I'm feeling feeble, not by any means, and I'm so grateful for the almost perfect health that the Lord has given me throughout all of my life. But, you know, it's sort of fun to be able to look back and see the faithfulness of God all the years that I've lived. And as I'm recording this program, I am 73 years old. I don't know exactly when you're going to hear it, but... In my little notebook that I've carried around for years and years, I wrote a page right at the beginning for myself, just as a reminder of the awesome privilege that God has given me in speaking publicly. It's not something that I ever imagined doing. I was expecting to be a jungle missionary all my life and perhaps uh, reduce languages so that they could read the Bible so that the people to whom I went could read the Bible. But I didn't visualize speaking or writing, certainly not broadcasting. But God does move in mysterious ways his wonders to perform, doesn't he? And over the years, I've referred to the very first page in my little brown notebook And this is a verse from the Bible. Though I speak with the eloquence of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm nothing but noise. My task is to love God, to make God loved, and to lay down my life to these ends. John 18, 37 tells me that I am to witness to the truth. And John 7, 18 says, If a man aims at the honor of God who sent him, he is sincere, and there is nothing false in him. And I would ask you, my dear listeners, to pray that I will continually honor God who has sent me to do this job. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 is one that certainly puts me in my place. The Apostle Paul says there is no question of our being qualified in ourselves. We cannot claim anything as our own. The qualification comes from God. It is He who has qualified us to dispense His new covenant. I ask you to pray that the Lord will never allow me 
to go beyond the qualifications that the Lord has laid down for me. That is from 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, and then in 2 Corinthians 4, 1, and 7, another awesome responsibility. Paul says we are entrusted with a commission. We owe it entirely to God's mercy. We are no better than pots. The power is God's alone. And God help me if I ever imagine that I'm any better than plain old pots. And when I lived with the Alka Indians, they made pots. Those women knew how to make wonderful pots, but they were all exactly alike, different sizes, but the same design, and made out of the same mud from the same creek. And none of the Alkas were interested in the pots, except the women, of course, who made them. But everybody was interested in what was inside. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in me, then I pray that he will th speak through me. But I am only the pot, and undoubtedly I'm a cracked pot, too. Then in verse 10, Paul said, We carry the death that Jesus died and the life that Jesus lived. The fact that he has put in there the word we, I think, gives me at least some inkling of a warrant that I, too, am meant to be an ambassador of Christ. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, we have this. We proclaim Christ so that, if possible, we may bring every man up to his full maturity in Christ Jesus. This is what I am working at all the time with all the strength that God gives me. That's from J.B. Phillips' translation. And in my broadcasting, that would describe what I aim at. We proclaim Christ so that if possible, we may bring every man up to his full maturity in Christ Jesus. This is what I am working at all the time with all the strength that God gives me. In Jeremiah 5.14, God said, I will make my words a fire in your mouth. I pray that God will do that for me. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells me that we are to arouse others to love and active goodness, encouraging one another. And I ask myself at times, am I worthy to speak? No, but Hebrews 10, 40 tells me that I am made holy by the single unique offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. Wonderful, isn't it? Who of us would be worthy to speak without his warrant? Am I fit for the service of the living God? Hebrews 9.14 tells me that I can be by the blood of Jesus, fit for the service of the living God, by his blood. In other words, without Christ I can do nothing, with Christ, I can do all things. And there's an interesting verse in Proverbs 16. It says, A man may order his thoughts, but the Lord inspires the words he utters. And I pray that the words that I utter on Gateway to Joy will be anointed by the Lord himself. Let's not grow tired of doing good, 
It says in Galatians 6, 9, For unless we throw in our hand, the ultimate harvest is assured. God says in Isaiah 44, 26, I give effect to my messenger's designs. Colossians 2, 2 tells me that God's great secret is Christ himself. I want to aim above all at prophecy, at the power to build, to stimulate and encourage, to build up a Christian community. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 4. 1 Peter 1, 2 tells me that I am chosen of old, hallowed to his service, and consecrated with the blood. And you, faithful prayer partners, if you hear me go beyond any of these principles, or if you believe that I have discarded some or any of these principles, I want to hear from you. And then I go through this little notebook. I have all sorts of wonderful little tidbits. I call them tidbits. Just short things which have blessed me again and again and again. Things which I often use in my talks when I'm speaking on platforms as well as on the radio. And here's one by Amy Carmichael entitled, No Scar... Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die, and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Another poem by Amy Carmichael. But these strange ashes, Lord, this nothingness, this baffling sense of loss, and it's as though the Lord is answering his child. He says, Was the anguish of my stripping less upon the torturing cross? Was I not brought into the dust of death, a worm and no man I? Yea, turned to ashes by the vehement breath of fire on Calvary. O Son beloved, this is thy heart's desire, this, and no other thing follows the fall of the consuming fire on the burnt offering. Go on and taste the joy set high afar. No joy like that to thee. See how it lights the way like some great star. Come now and follow me. And if I'm speaking to someone to whom God has sent you to make some kind of an offering, which is very difficult for you to make, 
think of these words, go on and taste the joy set high afar. This and no other thing follows the fall of the consuming fire on the burnt offering. Are you willing to lay down your offering and let God consume it? May God help us to release the things which we are clutching so tightly. May God bless you. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend Elizabeth Elliot. Reminiscing again today, just going back over some of the watchwords in my own life, things which I have been putting into my little brown notebook for years and years, things which have so wonderfully strengthened and purified and corrected my own spiritual life, and things which I have often dished out to other people as I'm asked to speak. Someone named B.J. Hoff don't know who she was, or he, wrote these few lines. When I want to do only great things for you, make me willing to do small, unnoticed things, too. When I want to do what the world will acclaim, make me willing to do what will lift up your name. A missionary in South Africa by the name of Andrew Murray wrote these rules for himself, which I have referred to again and again and again. So calming and simplifying. Number one, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this confined place. In that fact, I will rest. Number two, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Number three, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn, and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Number four, in his good time he can bring me out again, when and how he knows. And then Andrew Murray summarizes those four points with these shorter ones. He says, let me say I am here, number one, by God's appointment, number two, in his keeping, number three, under his training, number four, for his time. I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, and for his time. Very simple, isn't it? And yet, so helpful when you don't know whether you're in the right place or what you should do next. There you have some very sound advice. And a prayer that was written years and years ago in Ireland, I believe, is, Teach us, good Lord, to serve thee more faithfully, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward save that of knowing that we do thy will, O Lord our God. I love that. And in the great cathedral of Lübeck in West Germany, 
I'm told that these words are inscribed. Ye call me master, and obey me not. Light, and see me not. Ye call me the way, and follow me not. You call me the life, and desire me not. You call me wise, and hear me not. You call me rich, and petition me not. You call me eternal, and seek me not. Ye call me friend, and trust me not. Ye call me Lord, and serve me not. Ye call me powerful, and honor me not. Ye call me just, and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. And here's another one of those poems by that ubiquitous writer, uh, Anonymous. I'm willing to receive what you send, to do without what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer anything you inflict, to do what you command, to be what you ask me to be, at any cost, now and forever. I am willing to receive what you send, to do without what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer anything you inflict, to do what you command, to be what you ask me to be, at any cost, now and forever. Is that your attitude toward the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to receive what he sends? And here's another one. No author given, unfortunately. It's not because I don't put them in there. It's because somebody sent them to me and there wasn't any way I could track them down. Lord, here I hold within my trembling hand this will of mine, a thing which seemeth small, but only thou, O Christ, canst understand how when I yield thee this, I yield mine all. It hath been wet with tears and stained with sighs, clenched in my grasp till beauty it hath none. Now, from thy footstool where it prostrate lies, the prayer ascendeth. Let thy will be done. A man named Nicholas Grew, whose dates were 1731 to 1803, wrote, It is when the heavenly fire has departed and the soul is cool again that we discover the real quality of our will. Let me put in a parenthesis here that we're all created with emotions and will. And the great question, especially for us women, is to sort out which are just our emotions and which is it that the will must take over. You know, emotions are just very volatile. They go up and down. They... Uh, Sometimes they may be of help to us, but it is the will that the emotions must obey. 
And it is the will that makes us enabled to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck and do what God tells us to do, whether we're feeling good about it or not. Let's let go the whole business of feelings whenever we possibly can and ask the Lord, what is your will for me? He that doeth his will shall know. Some things may legitimately be alleviated, others necessarily endured. May God give us wisdom to know the difference. I love this by Samuel Rutherford, that great old soldier of the cross from Scotland. He suffered in prison. He suffered in many, many ways. He was debarred from preaching in his church. And he said, for some, it's down crosses and up umbrellas. But I am persuaded that we must take heaven with the wind and the rain in our faces. Don't you love that? For some, it's down crosses and up umbrellas. Which category are you in? But I am persuaded that we must take heaven with the wind and the rain in our faces. In other words, there are tough things that happen in our lives, aren't there? And do we immediately just collapse and poor little me, why is God doing this to me? Let's just remember that we have to take heaven with the wind and the rain in our faces. So what else is new? All is of grace. Sir Thomas Brown of the 17th century wrote, When I survey the occurrences of my life and call into account the finger of God, I can perceive nothing but an abyss and mass of mercies. Those which others term crosses, afflictions, judgments, misfortunes, to me who inquire farther into them than their visible effects, have always proved to be the secret favors of his affections, the secret, hidden, disguised favors of his affections. All is grace was the title of that one. Everything that happens fits into a pattern for good to them that love God. That's what the Bible says. St. Francis de Sales said, He has kept us hitherto. He will take care of us tomorrow. Either he will shield us from suffering, or he will give us unfailing strength to bear it. I just received a very long letter the other day from a woman whose situation seemed absolutely impossible. She had four children whom she was homeschooling. She had a disabled husband. She gets up every morning and delivers papers. She takes care of a 74-year-old woman. She cleans three different houses. And I've forgotten all the other things. She really wasn't complaining. She was just asking me to pray that the Lord would give her strength to do all these things. And she was feeling as though her husband was getting worse and she didn't know how much longer she was going to be able to do things like that. And so I gave her something like this, these words from St. Francis de Sales. He has kept us hitherto. He will take care of us tomorrow. Either he will shield us from suffering or he will give us unfailing strength to bear it. Obviously, God has been giving unfailing strength to that woman for a long time. And only God knows when it must end. May the Lord give us grace to receive the things which are hard for us and to be thankful 
God bless you. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking again today, or reading again today, some of the things that I have kept in my little brown notebook. I just love this little notebook. I carry it everywhere I go. I think it's the most valuable piece of stuff that I have. And uh, I've just learned so much from so many people who have taught me. Most of them are people that I never knew. They're people whose writings I've read. And here's one called What is Good for Us by Janet Erskine Stewart, who wrote a book called Prayer in Faith. And here's a list of things that we might not think of as good for us, but I hope you'll listen carefully and see if many of these things don't fit in to just what God might be wanting to teach you today. She says it is good that we should have to submit to what we do not understand. It teaches us the laws of faith and hope. And if there are any little children listening to me, I know that there are all kinds of things to which you have to submit that you don't understand. And your mama and daddy can't always explain to you why you need to do this or that or why they don't want you to do this or that. And it's the same way with the Lord Jesus, with us who are grown-ups. It is good that we should have to submit to what we do not understand. It teaches us the laws of faith and hope. It is good that we should have to do what we should rather not do, in circumstances not of our choice. It is good that there should be always something to prick us on, something to remind us that we are in an enemy's country and we belong in a marching column. The enemy's country, of course, is Satan's, but you and I belong to the Lord Jesus and we're going to follow him in that marching column. She goes on to say, It is good that every creature we lean upon should fail or disappoint us. It is good that we should meet with checks and failures in what we undertake to keep us humble and prayerful. And all these things belong to sowing in tears. And the Bible speaks of sowing in tears in Psalm 141.5. All these things belong to sowing in tears. God seems to have laid out the order of things in his church, not for a general and brilliant triumph, but for the hidden sanctification of the individual souls which compose it. If there's one sentence that is repeated over and over and over again in the many radio listeners' letters that I receive, it's this one. I don't understand what God is doing. Well, <laughs> I can't help just kind of chuckling every time I hear that. Why on earth would any of us earth creatures suppose that we could understand exactly what God is doing? He is doing things far more beyond our wildest comprehensions. 
But he does love us with an everlasting love, and we know that. But let's not be surprised that he does things that we don't understand. He seems to have laid out the order of things in his church, not for a general and brilliant triumph, but for the hidden sanctification of the individual souls which compose it. So whatever it is God is doing with you or in you or to you, it is ultimately to be for your sanctification in order that we might be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. How do I expect to get that without having to go through things which are not to my tastes and choices? We are to be meek. Meekness springs from overflowing love for Christ, and it is something which is irresistible. And the Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth. I don't think I was born meek, but in this little brown notebook of mine, I am reminded that in meekness is revealed the operation of the fundamental law of victory over the world, the principle of not returning like for like. In other words, let's not try to get back at people. And here's one which I refer to so often. Accustom yourself to unreasonableness and injustice. Who of us is not prone to have to deal somewhere, somehow, with somebody who is unreasonable and unjust? Well, this writer says, accustom yourself to it. Accustom yourself to unreasonableness and injustice. Abide in peace in the presence of God who sees all these evils more clearly than you do and who permits them. Be content with doing with calmness the little that depends on yourself, and let all else be to you as if it were not. There is no moment when God is not manifest in the form of some affliction. It cannot be anything but good, whatsoever thou shalt do with me, said Thomas Akempis. It cannot be anything but good whatsoever thou wilt do with me. A man named Walter Shizek, in his book called He Leadeth Me, tells about his imprisonment in Russian concentration camp. And the Soviet interrogators were trying to persuade him to cooperate with them. This is what he said. I saw only my own weakness and helplessness to choose either position open to me, cooperation or execution. I knew that I had gone beyond all bounds, had crossed over the brink into a fit of blackness I had never known before. It was very real. I began to tremble. I had lost the last shreds of my faith in God. Recognizing that, I turned immediately to prayer in fear and trembling. I knew I had to seek immediately the God I had forgotten. I knew immediately what I must do, what I would do, and somehow I knew that I could do it. I knew that I must abandon myself entirely to the will of the Father and live from now on 
in this spirit of self-abandonment to God. I want to read that line again because some of you may be in a similar situation, not in a Russian concentration camp, God forbid, but a situation where you know that you must abandon yourself entirely to the will of the Father and live from now on in the spirit of self-abandonment to God. And Walter Shizek says, And I did it. God's will was not hidden somewhere out there in the situations in which I found myself. The situations themselves were his will for me. What he wanted was for me to accept these situations from his hand, to let go of the reins and place myself entirely at his disposal. It was the grace God had been offering me all my life, but which I had never really had the courage to accept in full. Well, that's the end of his little story, but I might be listening to someone who is asking God to accept a difficult situation from his hands, and he's asking you to let go of the reins and to put yourself entirely at his disposal. Shizik says, It was the grace that God had been offering me all my life, but which I had never really had the courage to accept in full. Think of it. In a Russian concentration camp, he finds the peace to accept the will of God in all its fullness. Wonderful to find that kind of response in the midst of an indescribably horrible situation. And then another poem by Amy Carmichael. O Prince of Glory, who dost bring thy sons to glory through thy cross, let me not shrink from suffering, reproach, or loss. The dust of words would smother me, be all to me anathema that turns me from Gethsemane and Golgotha. If thy dear home be fuller, Lord, because a little emptier my house on earth, what rich reward that guerdon were. And the word guerdon is probably not familiar to many of you. It simply means a banner. God gave this dear woman a banner as a reward because she was willing to have her home a little emptier for his glory. I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today and will keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. 